Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis, where we invite you into honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. Welcome to season three. Well, guys, it is episode 24 of the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis, and this month is celebration month. We are celebrating the release of my new book, Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect, How Transparency Leads to Transformation. And it is a huge celebration because we got word last week that we hit number 18 on the USA Today bestseller list. So thank you guys so much for making this book a national bestseller. You guys are incredible. So thank you for your support, your encouragement, for buying the book, for sharing the book, uh, just for showing up and showing out. And we are celebrating every single week of October by releasing an episode of the podcast. And this is kind of an inception celebration because we are celebrating within a celebration because today our son Micah releases his very first book, Trailblazers. And guys, it is an incredible book. And if you are struggling with God's direction in your life, if you want to know more about how you can sense God's you know, voice and, and know where God is leading you, this book is for you. We're going to leave all of the ways to buy it in the show notes, but we hope that you enjoy this conversation with our son, Micah Davis, as he releases his first book today, Trailblazers. Well, we're super excited to have you on the podcast, and we were just talking before we started recording, uh, Dad, Justin, and I, welcome listeners to- I've never been called Dad on this podcast <laughs> until today. Uh, there's just like, so many things that we could talk about, about you and just your life. But really, this book that you have come out with is, I would say, like the life that you have been living the past five years. So I would love to hear just a little bit about your heart of just how you even got to this place where you wanted to write this book, Trailblazers. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the short answer is I didn't, um, <laughs> and I didn't think I could, but really the genesis of trailblazers goes back to a conversation that I had with my campus pastor at Lincoln Christian university in Lincoln, Illinois, that you guys are alums of. And, um, I was sitting there at the kitchen table with him. My wife Riley and I had just gotten married about eight months earlier, and we were planning to be in Lincoln for another year and a half to finish up school. And at that point, in February of 2019, I had received an invitation to apply to be the high school pastor at a mega church in Indianapolis. And at first, I wanted no part of it. And then Riley convinced me otherwise to consider it. And so we sat down at Pastor Brian's table and I just remember sitting with him and having this conversation about, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous that if I choose the church that I'm going to be pick, making the wrong decision, or if I choose to stay and play basketball, this year of basketball that I've waited to play my entire career for, that that would be the wrong decision. And I was just stuck. And I remember Pastor Brian pulled out this napkin and put it on the table and he just started drawing on it. And I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure that's how Harry Potter started. So I hope that... <laughs> Whatever he Willow whatever Creek, he writes on this napkin, every, every yeah, <laughs> every good thing started on a napkin. And so I just remember thinking, I hope whatever he puts on this napkin is as good. And it turns out it was. He put this, mm -hmm. he drew this straight line 
And he said, okay, Micah, so this is your life. This line is your life. And you could go right or you could go left. And you, the way that you're talking to me right now, it sounds like you believe that God is a breaker, that if you go right and you should have gone left, then all of a sudden you're going to be outside of God's will. Your life is not going to go the way that it should go. But Micah, I want you to know that God is not a breaker. He's a bender. And should you choose to go right, you should have gone left. As long as you are faithfully pursuing who God has called you to be, and as long as you're trying your absolute best to follow him, Jesus is going to lead you back to the straight and narrow of what your life should be. And I just remember that being a really monumental conversation in my life. I remember it releasing me to just trust Jesus with what I felt that he was leading me to do. And so that was the genesis of Trailblazers. And so fast forward a couple of years, I end up deciding to go into full-time ministry, forsaking my last year of college basketball. And it was a, it was a great decision. I loved, loved, loved my first ministry opportunity. And it was August of 2020. And I was sitting down with a friend. We were at Subway together. And he said, hey, I really feel like this message of Trailblazers needs to go further than you think it should. And I was like, ah, I really don't know about that. He's like, I really believe that you should write a book about this. And I'm like, okay, that's great that you believe in me, but I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to write a book. And he just said, well, I'll help you. And so this friend journeyed with me for uh, almost a year and helped me put together a website. And I started blogging and uh, really fell in love with the craft of writing and just thought, okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I will be obedient to it. And so it was at that moment that I decided to participate in it, what the scriptures call a Nazarite vow. Number six talks about this, where um, I basically consecrated myself or set myself apart to um, to Jesus and said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to fully surrender my life to you. And there was a whole a vow that I took of abstaining from cutting my hair, from abstaining from drinking alcohol or touching dead bodies, which comes straight out of the scriptures. And for 17 hard, months, not dead bodies, was that really difficult for you? <laughs> well, for me, it was, it was abstaining from doing funerals, which as a pastor, you know, that's a part of our call. And mm. yeah, for 17 months, that was a, that was a subtle um, vow that I took to the Lord. And I just said, God, I'm going to make this vow and commitment to you for as long as uh, you want me to. And 17 months later was when I received an invitation to be able to write trailblazers. So it was this whole long journey of uh, really that I'm still in of continuing to live out what I've written. Um, and it's been beautiful and scary all at the same time. That is so cool. You know, um, you kind of alluded to a couple of different things, but kind of give us a 30,000 foot perspective of you. I mean, obviously mom and I know you, but for the listeners who may not have had interactions with you personally, except through stories that we may tell or, or through our ministry, uh, give a little snapshot of who you are and, and what you're up to. Uh, you just are in the process of launching a church as well. So tell us all about that. Yeah, for sure. So I have the gift and privilege of serving as the pastor of teaching and vision for the sanctuary, a church in the neighborhood for the city um, here in inside the loop of Indianapolis. Um, and we are launching very soon officially as a church. It's something that uh, Riley and I have been hard at work at, and as well as uh, Jake and Katie Hirsch, who are co-planting with us for the last almost year plus uh, of our lives. And we've been working hard at really trying to figure out what it looks like for sinners, saints, and skeptics alike to be able to 
uh, find a place, a haven is what we call it for broken people who are able to practice the way of Jesus, participate in community and permeate the world. And so we're, that's our ambition. That's what we're after. And we believe that if we're able to cultivate a community that's able to go after those things, that we're going to see heaven on earth in our city, that we're going to see Indianapolis as it is in heaven. And so vocationally, that's what I'm up to. But I've been married to Riley for a little over five years now. Uh, we have a dog, Leo. We're dog parents. And so uh, love him. And we moved inside the loop of Indianapolis in August of 2020. And um, the same month that I had that conversation with that friend and really our lives started to converge at that point of just breaking our hearts for the city of Indianapolis and just asking the question, what if, what if God has called us to this particular people in this particular place for this particular moment? Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about who I am. Obviously the son of Justin and Trisha Davis from the Let's Get Real podcast. Um <laughs> I'm Thanks the, the oldest. Drop. <laughs> well, I'm the I mean, oldest. what people want to know, you know, well, I think what people are thinking are, gosh, Justin, Trish, like way to go, right? Like, did you pray that into your kids to be in ministry and be pastors? And I'm, we're like, heck no. We're like, go get a business degree and run for the hills, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> No, I mean, it's very true. I started out as an exercise science major. I felt called into ministry in March of 2016. Felt like uh, it was kind of a Moses in the burning bush moment. And I, I, it was, it was a, it was a holy ache, right? Like I just, I was mm. compelled to step into ministry. I remember calling dad that night or maybe the next day and just saying, Hey, I, I feel like I need to do this but I don't want to, what should I do? And Tad was like, just switch to business. That way, if you, you know, if you, if you don't actually want to go into ministry, you've got something to fall back on. And I was like, that is the best advice I've ever been given. And that's what I did. So I stepped into a business administration degree after that. I was just going to say it just in the first, I don't know, we've been recording for about seven minutes now. Um, first seven minutes of this, of this podcast, one of the things that you've done three different times is you've talked about a conversation with Brian conversation with a friend, you feel a call from God, you call me or you call mom, you, you have intentionally placed people in your life, not for, not necessarily for their approval, but for counselors and advisors and talk about that process. You're the oldest of five, you know, you're an Enneagram three. Um, it, it would be easy for you, easier probably for you just to go it alone and just drive your own trail blaze your own trail (laughs) it's the dad podcast um but you have intentionally placed people in your life that you're constantly um in submission to in some respects as far as humility and and seeking their wisdom and advice talk about that because i that's really just in our early conversation i just see so many i started thinking about so many areas of your life where you constantly and consistently do that yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple different angles I could go with that question. I think really first and foremost, it just comes from being an, an athlete for most of my life and being a part mm. of a team. I just see the value in having people that you can step into the literal fire with, you know, side by side. Um, and there were many, many years where I would go through tough stretches or or have hard games, or we would be on national national stages playing really intense competitive games and you were essentially going to war with brothers by you and so it just instilled something in me of 
I just want to have people in my life and be surrounded by people who are going to make me better, who are going to sharpen me. And so I think that was uh, certainly a, a pivotal uh, part of my story and wanting to have people surrounded or people surrounding me. But I think as I've gotten into full-time ministry, even um, God has just, it's not necessarily something I've certainly been intentional about seeking people out, but I can't take credit for the people who have come around me. I think that has just been God ordained. There's been rooms that I've been able to step into that I had no idea that this person was going to be there. And then that ended up forming a lifelong friendship, or I was able to, you know, speak at this church or do this event. And this person also happened to be there. And all of a sudden they became a mentor in my life. And I've tried to be intentional about following up with those people and, and maintaining relationship with those people. But really it all stems from curiosity and just mm. wanting to apprentice under Jesus. Well, you know, Martin B. Copenhaver has this book called Jesus is the question. And the subtitle is the best part. It's the 307 questions Jesus asked and the three he answered. And Copenhaver's whole thesis is that Jesus was the most curious intellectual to ever live. And I feel like if we are to authentically follow Jesus, then we ourselves are to be curious. And so my thick web of mentors and sages in my life really just stems from my unending curiosity and just wanting to ask people questions. So when I see someone who's really good at their craft, or when I see someone living with high character and integrity, I just get curious and I just ask questions and I try to be bold and reaching out and having a conversation. And that's opened up a lot of doors in my life to be able to just have a, a really, really sweet community. I the the power in what you're saying is both beautiful and in i think for many of us a longing that we all desire to have what you have and we don't have it and i think specifically for dad and i in our generation we're generation x which just sounds bad to begin with <laughs> but like we came out of church culture where it was still very um kind of like legalistic and then moved into this kind of like it was the height of like Christian music kind of taking a, a turn and youth group at a height but it, what was missing is like we were doing community well in, in in the invitation like we came from even like the Willow Creek you know seeker sensitive model but what we missed out on um, I think is discipleship and so we have floundered in how to disciple others. And so I think that there is a bridge that's so desperately needed right now for people. Like you said, what, what was powerful and the person listening that I hope that they lean into is that it's a both and when it comes to mentorship. There was proximity, but there was the invitation that I, you know, I always encourage people, like, just invite someone in. And if they're like, I don't want to be mentored, I'll be really surprised. But for the most part, people are like, yes, I, I want a mentor. Um, but at the same time, you've done a really good job of kind of asking different people from different walks of life. Like, people who like are very intellectual, people who are more, I mean, let's face it, dad and I are more like heart feelers, like, you know, let's go charge the hill. Um, for someone who is listening and really wants to step into that type of mentorship, and we'll talk a little bit more about this of kind of the whole premise of the book is trailblazing. Like, 
for the person that wants to invite others in, what has been attractive to you to feel like people were approachable to even like learn from them or be mentored by them? Yeah, I think I want to speak to the generational gap that exists because I think there's, um, at least from what I've observed, I try to do my homework when it comes to cultural commentary and just understanding the times and trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in this particular cultural moment. And when I think about Generation X, I think there was such a strong desire, you're right, to reach out and to be invitational. But I think the shadow side to that was relevance and this desire to want to be popular and to be spectacular and to be grand and to be big. And at some point, that becomes shallow. People become more of a product than a soul, right? Mm. And I think for Gen Z, what we're starting to see is this shift uh, away from relevance and towards authentic connection and community. And that's not all well and good either. There's certainly a shadow side here, which in, in our case, it's um, inauthenticity, right? It's it's hiding behind a screen. It's deciding that we're going to be a persona rather than a person. So we all have this bend to want to hide. Um, it's just what are we what are we hiding behind? And so, I think for Gen Z, we're we're seeing that shift away from this desire to be relevant. But I also think the temptation exists to not be invitational. And so that there's certainly a hard balance there. But when it comes to you know reaching out and finding mentors and who these people are, I, I just think that that's the biggest thing is character for me is the most attractive quality for any person that I want to follow. And so I have this thick web of mentors and sages in my life. And I would say 90% of them you've probably never heard of. And they are my most favorite treasured people on planet earth. I great example is my spiritual director. Um, and her husband, they're in their late eighties. They live in when I say like the sticks of Indiana, I mean <laughs> the sticks of Indiana. They live in this nowhere town on this spiritual retreat center that they've built. And um, they've certainly been a part of mega churches and have been a part of really, really cool movements. But at some point in their life, there was this shift away from relevance and towards consecration, towards holiness. And their character and just who they are, it's just, it's compelling. Like you step into their house or you step into their room or you sit on their deck and you start to have a conversation with them and you you feel the manifest presence of Jesus there. And that is, there, there's nothing comparable to that when it comes to just being surrounded by another follower of Jesus. And so, you know, if you're looking for a mentor, I would just say, don't look for flash. Don't look for number of followers on social media. Don't look for who can I align myself strategically with so that I can grow my platform or grow my influence. It's who is best following Jesus in my immediate sphere and how can I get in line behind them? It's good. Well, the reason I, I really wanted to kind of go down that line of, of conversation is because I think it's easy for someone on the outside looking in to say, man, here's a, you know, young guy that, you know, worked at a mega church as a youth pastor. He's starting the church. He's writing a book. Man, he really is blazing a trail. 
But what I think one of the things that I have loved about watching you grow and learn is your the trails that you blaze are never alone, right? Like one, God is God is providing those trails for you to step into, but it's always done in the context of community and the, in the context of um, seeking out what is the highest character choice for you to make in this season of life. And so that leads me into kind of the, the conversation about your book. It's called Trailblazers, as, as if you don't know yet. Um, but kind of talk us through what is a trailblazer as you define it. Um, because, you know, maybe somebody might be hear that word and, and not really have kind of a concrete vision of what that word actually means. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me do the classic pastor thing, which is answer your question in a roundabout way. I think in order to, in order to answer that question of what a trailblazer is, I think first I want to define what trailblazers, the book isn't. um, And then I'll step into what it is. So what trailblazers isn't, and just speaking to your point, dad, this is not a formulaic book. So I'm not attempting to convince you of steps one, two, three, to discover God's purpose for your life. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to abide in the vine that is Jesus, to build your house on the rock, as he says, to practice his way, to do as Jesus did, and to surrender all of those desires, hopes, and dreams at the foot of the cross, entrusting them to Jesus, believing that in our obedience, the Holy Spirit will form and shape us into the person that he's called us to be. And so if you are approaching this book, coming to me, looking for answers, I'm not your guy. And I just need to say that up front. I say that in the book. Um, I'm simply a guide. Heroes provide answers. Guides ask questions. So that's what I do throughout Trailblazers. I just ask questions. What is your dream? Who is God calling you to be? What holy discontent is stirring within you? And then let's go on a journey together and discover that. So I'm just the guide. Jesus is the hero of the story. So that's what Trailblazers isn't. What Trailblazers is, it's this exegetical look at 12 figures in the scriptures and I attempt to illuminate the importance of formation and union with God on the journey of self-discovery and purpose. And this culminates in the perfect, divine, fully integrated person that is Jesus. And then interwoven into those stories are some reflections from my own story and how God has been building and shaping uh, clarity of purpose in my own life and character formation. So what a trailblazer essentially is, is it's a consecrated or set apart individual who submits fully to the process of character formation for the sake of discovering and developing their God-given purpose. I'm just saying I birthed this child and I'm feeling pretty proud of him right now because uh, that's just amazing. Um, if you are new to the podcast, then you are probably, if this is your first podcast that you're listening to the Let's Get Real podcast, we we do kind of sound like we're amazing parents with this human being, uh, the son of ours. Tell some really amazing stories about his dad in the book. I know that. But <laughs> if you've been around the Let's Get Real podcast, we're in season three, you know that we are a very messy family and we've been through a lot of hard things. And even for you, Micah, like you have, you know, basketball was a not just a, a playing field of, of learning how to compete, but there were lots of lows and there were highs. In our family, there's been lots of lows and lots of highs. How have you found your own trail 
and you know, I think the question we get, especially when people know our story, like how do your kids even love Jesus, let alone um, a willingness or this posture to keep growing towards him. And so, you know, in, in the seasons of your life where God has maybe felt absent or you've been disappointed in people's choices or um, when character doesn't happen, you know, when you thought someone was a person of character and it just kind of blows up in your face. Um, I know for me personally, I, I can get to a place I have to really check my heart for cynicism or um, a spirit of defeatism. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to give up. As you have like blazed this trail of really finding God and asking those questions, how have asking those questions help you like find God in the midst of a lot of the messy moments of your life? I think when it comes to remaining faithful to Jesus, it's a, it's an everyday invitation. And I think that's, that's the really difficult part about character and integrity is it doesn't mean perfection. Right. And I think oftentimes we hold people to a standard that we ourselves are not willing to hold ourselves to. Mm. And so, you know, for those of you who don't know mom and dad's story, I'm not going to rehash it here because this is your guys' podcast, but <laughs> the, well, you, the share, you share part of our story in your book. You can share as much as yeah, yeah, I do. Like next to dots. But I think, I think the biggest thing was when, when I would go around traveling with you guys, when you guys were speaking and sharing in your story, the biggest thing that people would ask me was exactly what you said, mom is, is how are you still here? Like, how are you still following Jesus? How are you still wanting to be in the church? And that's not just, that doesn't just have to do with our family story. It has to do with how the church responded to our family story and some of our biggest failures. And uh, just seeing some of the messiness and some of the coldness of people who claim to be followers of Jesus and the hurt that comes with that and trying to reconcile all of that. But I think the biggest thing that I've come to learn is when people ask me that question, I just say, really, what it comes down to is union with God. And it's this ever growing desire to want to know him. And there have certainly been seasons in my life where that has not been true of of who I am. I've had moments where I've not wanted to follow Jesus and I've had moments where I've actively not followed Jesus. And so this isn't this like straight up into the right story of, you know, I've just been doing it perfectly for 27 years. It's this constant tug and pull and stepping up again and failing and falling and getting to rock bottom and realizing my need for a savior and just coming to this realization that Jesus mm. is the only answer. He's the only one who saves. And so I think when it comes to my story specifically, if parents are wondering what they can do for their kids to set them up to win, you know, parents are the most formational figures in a child's life on this side of heaven. You're with them every single day. You're literally raising them. And I think something that you guys did that was really beautiful in my life was from the very beginning, you guys told me who I am. You gave me an identity. You literally said, we named you Micah because it means one who seeks God. So I knew from the very beginning that I was named 
as a person who was to seek God. That was literally the name given to me. And I think there's power in names. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go change their kids' names, <laughs> but I think there's there's power in just speaking identity over your kids from an early age. Another thing that you guys told me all the time was that I would be a world changer. And that was a, a really pompous, pretentious thing for you guys to say, looking back on it, I'm probably in counseling for that now. Uh, but <laughs> You know, mom, you, that's the only thing we're actually doing well. (laughs) You mom, you wrote me a letter my senior year of high school and it was, it was, Hey, you know, you're now leaving the house. Now go be who God has called you to be, go change the world. And I got that. I have that line, you know, I don't know if this is on video or not, but I have that line. You tattooed it on his body. I was like, had I known I would have used better handwriting, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just this, this, again, that was another identity piece that was given to me. And so I would I would say that for me specifically that's that's you know not prescriptive that's just descriptive of my life uh, was that you guys did a great job of speaking life and identity over me and then when when you talk about just the valleys and some of the man really tragic difficulties of life you know it wasn't just dad's moral failure at age ten it was my godfather's moral failure at age eighteen and basically reliving that story again as now not just a kid, but as a adult and mm-hmm. kind of being in the know of what church, you know, politics and the behind the scenes of scandal and failure and just the 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 wave of hurt that came from those really poor choices that was really difficult. But what I decided, and I don't know how I came to this place, I, it, honestly, it just came through reading the scriptures was it was just understanding that if I place my hope and identity in a singular person other than Jesus, I'm always going to be let down. He is the only one who never fails me. And Jesus's instructions to us are to stop looking at the, stop trying to take out the speck in our brother or sister's eye and to look at the plank in our own eye. And I just started to realize I'm, I'm not that far off from the worst of who dad was in that season of life or the worst of who my godfather was in that season of life. Like there, there were, I see myself in them. And so if I can be and become that person, then I need to do whatever I can to, to not become that person. Instead of just pointing the the finger and blaming, I need to take ownership over how I'm being formed and decide to go blaze another trail to live a different way. That's really good. You know, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, you know, I think one of the, one of the conscious decisions that Trish and I made in our own story and Micah, Micah shared he was 10 years old when we separated and we could have tried to protect him or hide it or heal outside of like his view. But I think when you are willing to admit failure in front of your kids and you're willing to own your own sin in an age appropriate way, right. it, what it does is it allows your kids to see God's grace at work in your life. Like if your kids never see you transformed and redeemed and healed and forgiven by God's grace because they think you're perfect, then how are they ever going to find hope in knowing that God could forgive them and love them unconditionally? And and so this, this, this is more parenthetical than it is anything else, but I think that is one of the biggest um, wins that we had in that season is that we were all in it together. We were, we were broken and we acknowledged our brokenness. And then we all had a front row seat 
into God's redemption that, you know, still uh, pays dividends today. And I think a, a, a trail that we blazed as a family is that wasn't a one-time event. We apologize to each other all the time and we speak truth to each other. And in fact, Micah, you know, I think, I don't know if that was this summer or I can't remember when, but you know, you came over the house and just, you had gone on a spiritual retreat and just were wrestling with some things in our relationship and you brought it to us with such a kindness, but it was how you felt. And some of it was truth and some of it was perspective and we could have gotten really defensive, but it's like, you have to fight for that. And so I feel like now that we've tackled, you know, the church, let's just go to another lighter topic and, and family, we've hit the church family. But one thing that, um, dad hit on a little bit in mentorship, but what has been so fun, um, I think for me personally, uh, because a lot of my loss has come through close friendships and my community, um, is really seeing how well you and your wife, Riley, who I love so much, um, and their dog, Leo, I love him too. Uh, (laughs) but you guys do community so well. Share a little bit about, like, you just gave all that backdrop of all the work you do in these different facets of life. But this type of friendship community, it brings a different kind of life. Can you share just, I don't know, maybe um, just part of the sweetness of the those close friendships and why they're so important to you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, the turning point in my life regarding the importance of community was a book, um, surprise, uh, <laughs> a book uh, by Dr. Joseph Hellerman entitled When the Church Was a Family. And Hellerman just essentially kind of pulls apart the early church and how the early church was built around the table and how the practice of eating and drinking and literally sitting around the table um, in a circle was highly formational to people becoming the great fathers and mothers of church history, that it was almost always done in community. Even when you talk about the desert fathers and mothers, like there were apprentices and pupils and people coming up behind them, even Jesus, right? Like he had his uh, his disciples with him and he would eat and drink regularly with them. I mean, he was called a, a drunkard and a glutton for how much he ate and drank. Like the table was highly, highly central to people's mm. formation. And so you know, after reading that book, I just started to wrestle with uh, what kind of person do I want to be, you know, and it's that cliche axiom, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your life. Like I just decided, man, who I decide to to do life with is going to have a direct effect on who I become. And I really want to be surrounded by people that I can trust and, and fully, uh, put stock into. And I think especially as I've stepped into uh, the the role of pastor of teaching and vision at the sanctuaries, I've stepped into being and becoming an author, the, the public side of my life has started to um, grow and expand. And I think in my unhealth, there is a desire for approval and acknowledgement and attention that if left unchecked would turn me into just the worst narcissist you've ever met. And again, I've had to be honest about just the fact that that lives in me. And I think what's rooted me and allowed me to just authentically step into who God has called me to be is my community. And so 
Um, there's six of us, three couples, and we really decided uh, two years ago, last weekend, we went on a, a retreat together down to um, the east side of Tennessee. We rented a cabin for a weekend. And I remember we sat down for an evening and um, I just kind of shared this vision with them of, hey, what would it look like to covenant our lives together? What would it look like to actively seek to, as best we can, live as in as close proximity to one another as possible and to literally do life together, to raise our kids together, to, uh, I mean, at that point, we didn't know we were going to start a church together, but now to start a <laughs> church together um, and, and to just do life together. And so I came up with this communal rule of life, kind of this, uh, this trellis, this, uh, you know, these rhythms that we were going to abide by as a group. And those rhythms were uh, once a week, we were going to gather around the table um, as, as a family. Once a month, the guys and the girls were going to separate for a meal and we were going to partake in the, in the practice of confession with one another. Um, and then once a year, we were going to get away for a weekend. We were going to carve out a whole weekend to just go and just be together. And we decided what would, what would life look like if we just covenanted together, if we promised to one another that we were going to try to essentially die together in a place. And there's a lot of idealism in that. It's not, um, again, it's not this prescriptive thing of you can just, just, you know, call up your best friends and say, Hey, do you want to covenant your lives together? Like it's a very big <laughs> ask. And so I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to idealize it or, um, make it sound better than it is, but yeah, there's a real commitment there and we've had to really fight for it. And, I guess I can I can share this now. The beautiful thing, um, one of the couples in that group just found out two days ago. They've been looking high and low for a house um, for months. I mean, this market is just absolutely crazy. And two nights ago, we got a call, and they finally found a house, and it's Aww. two minutes and eleven seconds from us. And so that vision of being able to do life together is starting That's to cool. be and become a, a, an even clearer reality. And so it's just been really neat to see how God has met us in our desire to want to commit to one another and to do life together. I That's love really cool. That. Why, why so, you have this smile on your face? Well, I just you... have to ask the word trellis. Is that John Mark Comer or is that Rich Velotis? I, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean that is that is the Desert Fathers and Pete Scazzaro original well, Dallas Miller and Pete Scazzaro. I mean, yeah. everyone's well, ripping from everyone. So you went there. I went like a completely different uh, lane when you said two days ago they found out. I was like, are they pregnant? Like, what is happening? You know. So that is our big joke with Mike and Riley that I've gone so baby crazy that they are like, Mom, we we have to share something with you, and then they go, we're not pregnant. And so I'm like. Okay. Okay. So, um, when you talk about community, how, you know, you write a lot about that in trailblazers as well. How do you help the reader connect kind of biblical community with their own lives personally? Obviously you have a rule of life that you've developed. Um, what is your hope for the reader as they read trailblazers? How they, will they be inspired to mm -hmm. develop community in their life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a real tension, right? Because when you hear about someone who's living life like that, it can be easy to say, well, I don't have any friends or I'm alone or I don't even know where to start. And instead of taking the next step, we just give up before even beginning. And so I would just say there's kind of three things that I lay out, practically speaking, of what it looks like um, 
to begin cultivating a life that's built on kind of this foundation of, of communal living and um, three kind of specific circles in life. The first is a core of fellow disciples. So every trailblazer needs a core of individuals to help them remain rooted in their true identity. And so that's the covenant community that I just spoke to for the listener uh, listening. It could be your family. It could be your small group at church. It could be um, you know, the, the people that you work with, like, it's just, it's extending that invitation and deciding who are going to be the people that I'm going to do life with. And, you know, you look through the scriptures, um, you've got Paul's core that included Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Luke, right? These, these men journeyed and ministered and lived with Paul for years at a time. You look at Jesus's core, right? He had the 12, but then inside of that, he had Peter, James, and John, like Jesus handpicked these men. These were the guys that he was going to do life with. And they were present with him during these really crucial moments of his ministry. And so first and foremost, you just have to decide what type of person do I want to become? And then look for those people in your life and commit to them like show up. And that's half the battle is just showing up. I can't even tell you guys how many weeks there's been where I have not wanted to go to Covenant Community Dinner, where I've just wanted to stay home and mm. binge watch a show or whatever. But I've I've had to show up time and time again. And you know, one of our friends is a, mus- a musician and he has a lot of gigs around town. And there are times that I don't want to go, but I show up because I've, I've covenanted my life to him and I've, I've pledged that I'm going to show up when he has something that's important to him. And they've done the exact same thing for me. And so, um, and I'm sure times where they've not wanted to show up either. So the first one is a core. The second one is a community of support. And so this is, um, and I recognize that this is, uh, can be tough waters to navigate, especially in our cultural moment with deconstruction and church hurt and, and really just a lot of church leaders being exposed rightly for not living lives that are aligned with who they are on the platform versus who they are off. But if you look throughout the scriptures, there's this, um, this essential breakdown of there's not green room gatherings. There's no posted (laughs) VIP signs, right? It's just people, communities who are at the table together. And so I look at this as essentially like your neighborhood. It's kind of the next um, circle in your life. It's not the people who are most closest to you, but it's the people who you're in proximity to and you're choosing to to live life with them. And you're, uh, again, showing up despite your differences, right? I, I don't think when you look at the scriptures, there were tables that included powerful people and lowly people, people who supported Jesus of Nazareth and people who lived lives that were outwardly opposed to him. They welcomed ancient time conservatives and liberals, scoundrels and scholars, like all of these people at the table um, were welcomed with Jesus present there. And so if we are to be, again, authentic apprentices to him, then our tables need to mirror Jesus's table. It needs to mirror both Mm -hmm. the marginalized and the powerful. It needs to Uh, welcome people of color and people of low socioeconomic status and the rich, right? Like it's, it needs to be all kinds of people that are at our table. And then that kind of feeds into the last circle, which is just the local church. And again, in this day and age where it's again, admittedly hard to find a really solid local church, you're never going to find a perfect church. And so if you continually church hop and just try to look for that perfect community or the community that's going to fit all of your needs and all of your preferences, it's never going to happen. And so my 
gentle invitation would be, what if you flip that? What if instead of looking for a church community that met your preferences, what if you just committed yourself to a community despite its flaws and failures and offered your gifts and your abilities to that community without any expectation of receiving? Because I think when we enter into church context with that posture, we're blown away at how it quickly becomes this beautiful sanctuary of love and truth and encouragement and uplifting because it's the church. And at its best, there's no other place on earth like it. Again, when you look through the scriptures, we learn to love one another, honor one another, build one another up, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, like all of these one another's that it symbolizes this symbiotic relationship that we have mutual submission to one another as we mutually submit to Christ. And so if you're looking to build community in your life, I would say those are the three things that you need to to start looking to do. You need to build a core and then you need to build a community of support. And then you need to find a local church to give your life away to. Mm. Dang, that was good. I know. I'm like, okay, look, thanks for being on the podcast, dude. That was amazing. For those of you that have listened to the Let's Get Real podcast for a while, you know that there was more authors mentioned and books quoted in this podcast than in all the other podcast episodes <laughs> combined. You know what though? I want, I want to, um, as we kind of close our time together, I think what I love about your perspective, Micah, is there is a, I was trying to think of the word, um, like a, like a, a when you think of Tony Dungy, there's like people say a, a quiet strength. A Quiet Strength. It's a book that he wrote. Yes. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I, I'm saying I know it was there. So Obviously, the- Micah gets his reading and smarts from me, but... The branding worked. It, that's you thought it of, worked. And you thought of but th- knowing our family, we there are, you know, when you put us all together, there's a million of us, and we are all different personalities. Um, you and I are both Enneagram 3s. Everybody else is the, like, whole wheel of the Enneagram. Like, we're all all over the place. But what I appreciate how you have presented this is really from a posture of what is God calling you, not you, Micah, but us as the individual, you know, the person listening to this podcast, like this isn't about a formula, but it is about an invitation and it's an invitation to the person that God created you to be. And so um, if you are an intellectual, if you are a feeler, if you are like, sometimes we put ourselves so much in a box of we're an Enneagram or we have this, um, I'm a mom or I'm like whatever title or label we put on ourselves, I think oftentimes is what becomes roadblocks to blazing trails. And I just, I want to thank you for this book and its invitation not to be, um, you know, five happy hops to a healthier you, but an invitation to ask questions right where you are in your life and the person listening, you know, maybe they're, you know, if you're listening and your life is a mess right now and you just like, you're not even thinking about blazing a trail. You just want to find a trail. And what we have seen over and over in our family's lives is that God shows up with that. And sometimes it's just like, almost like a glimmer from the moon on a very dark path, but he always lights the way. And so I just, I'm so grateful that you've given us words to begin a path, whether we're living our best life 
or if we are sitting down and somebody's busting out a napkin to show us which way to go, or, you know, if we're in a dark place. So, um, tell us when, you know, the book is coming out. Um, I think we'll probably air this after it comes out. I believe we will air it probably the week that it comes out. Okay. So, um, we'll, we'll edit that out, but like, Share we we want to end our podcast just asking our guests what is something you're excited about and I feel like we've covered the launch of the church um the book coming out but just share what you are like specifically excited about as this book launches into the world yeah I was telling one of our friends on another podcast I'm excited for Christmas of 2023 because by that point. <laughs> We'll be 12 weeks into our church plant. I will have taught nine of those 12 weeks. Trailblazers will have been out for two months and I will be very tired, but um, I will also be very fulfilled just being able mm. to look back and reflect on all of the beautiful things that God has done this past year and just his faithfulness. So, uh, but in, in, in all seriousness, I think what I'm most excited about um, and this has just been, this has been Riley and I's prayer since we received the opportunity to be able to even write this book was just, Lord, put it in the hands of whoever needs it. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about trusting Jesus is it takes all the pressure off. And again, as an Enneagram three, mom, you can relate to this and dad, you can too, cause I get it from both of you, but just that desire to, that desire to perform and to achieve and to matter and to feel like someone of importance, um, it does not go away when you are given opportunities that a lot of people dream of. It, it honestly just gets worse because you feel like, okay, I've been given this invitation and this opportunity that so many people want. I better not screw it up. And so there's certainly a temptation there to just want to overwork and manipulate my way onto some sort of list or to do whatever I think I can to become a person who I believe matters or a person of importance. And really from the very beginning, I've just said, Jesus, I just surrender this work to you. It can reach 10 people or it can reach 10 million people. It really doesn't matter to me because this is, this is my offering to you. And the win has been obedience to you in writing the book. So whatever happens from here, Holy Spirit, would you just take it? And would you allow it to be a transformative piece of work for people in their lives and in their own journeys with Jesus? And whatever that looks like, I'm just really excited to see um, the stories that are written and the trails that are blazed as uh, a result of this book being a catalyst, hopefully for some people in their own lives to be able to live in who God has called them to be. That was beautiful. Well, Micah, thanks so much for being with us on the Let's Get Real podcast. Um, we, you are by far our favorite guest of all time. <laughs> and uh, we've never said this, but we love, to another guest. We love you. We're proud of you. And uh, we're grateful for the trail that you're blazing uh, for your generation and uh, in our family. Thank you, guys. I love you. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Again, we would love, love, love for you to order his book today. Or if you're listening this later in life, it will be hopefully forever and ever on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for joining us.